0: Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. We're glad you're here. I'm Kevin McDonald, your host for this grand adventure, and I thank you for joining us. You see, our mission is to create a positive personal connection to all things with courage and love. We invite terrific guests, interesting topics, and great conversation, all in a fun, entertaining way, and we always manage to learn something too. So I hope you will stay right where you are for this episode of Positive Talk Radio. and welcome everybody to positive talk radio my name is kevin mcdonald and you're listening to the km media.pro network of stations and stuff and today we've stuff <laughs> that's so professional we've, we've got a great gal with us today and she's a therapist and her name is joelle and uh and she operates a company called Centilla therapy and uh, she works in all kinds of ways to help you lead and live your best life and uh and welcome to the show joelle how are you thank you i'm great thanks so much for having me i'm excited (laughs) now you're all the way up north in canada is it snowing up there no i'm kidding Uh, (laughs) no it did snow a couple weeks ago
1: actually though so
0: a little uh
1: late in the in the winter to uh be having snow still but
0: I'm glad I'm glad we're now into March and which means that that we're you because you're in the great Northwest as well as I am and so we're hopeful that we're all done with that now and we can go on to have a nice a nice spring and a nice summer that's my favorite time of years is between now and June when the days get longer everybody stays out later and it's a it's it's a great time especially now that Mr. COVID seems to be uh, on the decline we hope let
1: we'll see yeah i don't know if he can be trusted <laughs> <But> <laughs> no it's cautiously it's, optimistic
0: it's one of those false hopes that you keep like like if uh you keep hoping somebody's going to propose and then they don't it's like we keep getting disappointed because okay here it comes again so but hopefully it'll stay it'll stay away well let's let's talk a little about you Joel. you are a you're what I would call an educated woman. You've done all kinds of stuff. And, uh, tell us about your passion. What do you love to do?
1: Uh, well, I love my job. I'm very lucky in that I get to do something every day that I just absolutely love to do, which is talk to people. (laughs) Uh, so I do counseling. I work at a private practice, uh, I see people who are experiencing anxiety, depression, trauma symptoms, uh, managing chronic health. Uh, Those are my kind of main niches, I would say. And then I also work as a counsellor at a high school where I work with uh, kids in grade 8 to 12. Um, And that's how I spend most of my time these days and what I'm most passionate about. I have a couple other hobbies and things outside of work, but so uh, yeah, works it works pretty up there. I like, we it. all
0: got to have balance to, to do mm-hmm. stuff that we like to do. This is this is actually my hobby. So, this is what I love to do the most of anything is to talk to people Great. like you. Great. And the first thing I want to ask you though is, what's it like being a high school counselor? <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's
1: you know, new stuff every day. You never know who's gonna come into your office crying. Uh, and teenagers are just so different their brains work very differently so it's just I like having variety in my job I work with mostly adults in private practice I do see a few teenagers uh but mostly people in their in their 20s and 30s I find are the population that I work with so being able to work with a bit younger population is just really interesting and they have you know their own set of issues um that come up and so yeah it's it's great
0: what do you find to be some of the, you know, I know, I realize that being a teenager, especially now, I cannot imagine yeah, I can't. being a teenager in this day and age. It must be really, really challenging. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, because, uh, I agree. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, did, I think it's, it can be hard to relate just because it is so different too. I mean, I was, I actually went to the high school that I work at and, you know, last time I was a student there was in 2005 though. So it's been a while and a lot has changed about the teenage experience uh, in the last, whatever, 17 years. So social media, phones, all sorts of different social pressures, the pandemic, just the state of the world. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a very different experience. They're going through a lot right now and trying to figure out who they are and how to, Kind of function in this world uh with all of these different different aspects going on
0: it must be really hard being a parent of a teenager uh right now as well because you can't shield them from anything
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everything is
0: all out there in, in in living color and uh regardless of how you want to protect them you really can't because they've got a computer in their hand
1: yep yeah, and I talked to some people who are parents and it's definitely scary and it's uh yeah, it can feel like a losing battle and some of them will just try and control that too, but sometimes it's really, you know, relinquishing that sense of control and saying I'm hopefully I'm doing the best I can and have created someone who can make good choices because they are going to be put in situations where you're not going to be able to to shield them or protect them from things.
0: I always laughed at my, uh, my former wife, because when our kids were teenagers and they'd have a girlfriend and it's, and she would say, you need to be home at 10 o'clock at night. And when they were late, um, she would like, what are they doing? And I said, well, they're doing whatever it is that they want to do that they could be doing before 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, if we haven't given them the, the basic, um, idea of what morality is and taking care of themselves and being kind to one another then uh, we can't save them from themselves at this point is that did you find that to be kind of true
1: yeah and that's kind of I think you know probably what a lot more well articulated point I was trying to make of you have to just put faith in your own parenting and your own child and that they are able to make the right choices and they're gonna do what they're gonna do and they're gonna make mistakes and being there for them in those cases as well. I mean that's part of growing up. You can't be shielded from everything bad. You can't be, you know, in, in situations where there's no opportunity to learn or make mistakes. So it's uh just supporting them and doing as best you can to guide them, I think. But
0: I am yeah, and I imagine that that the, the type of when you you have a 15-year-old girl come in and she just Uh, her boyfriend just broke up with her and it's the end of her life and it's nothing is going to be worse than that ever. How do you convince them that that's not the case?
1: You don't. I mean, for them, it is the worst thing that's ever happened to them. Right. And for them it's, it's, they need someone who, who is going to be there and again, just kind of support them and, and guide them rather than trying to take away the pain, teaching them how to cope with it. Um, you know, subtle but very important difference there. And I think with teenagers, that's the thing is a lot of the time, they're not taken seriously by adults, they're not taken seriously by their friends, and and whatever their issues are are important to them. And if you know, if they're saying this breakup is the worst thing that's ever happened to them, and it's okay, yeah, like, here's a space where someone's gonna listen to you and respect that. And and validate that and and help you get through it
0: what do you find because you're you're dealing even even adults in their 20s and 30s what do you find are some of the major obstacles that they have as they're going through that phase of their life um that that you that you are helping them with
1: um it's a good question i you know it's really different for everybody i think a lot of people these days struggle with work-life balance. Um, a lot of people struggle with anxiety and, uh, and just, you know, figuring out what they want in life. There's a lot of interpersonal relationship stuff and, uh, yeah, a whole bunch of, I mean, I guess one of the, the main things I noticed in clients was, and why I wrote the book that I, that I put out in November was that people were unable to set boundaries and kind of avoiding difficult conversations. And I saw that was a big trend in the population that I've been working with and that people didn't know how to have difficult conversations. And so I put together some skills and and wrote that book to try and help some people out with that.
0: We were always taught when I, well, of course, when I was growing up, well, I graduated from high school in 1975, which will give you a little idea of the differences. But we were taught to be nice, and difficult, honest conversations still today today for me are difficult and, mm-hmm. and hard. How do you and how do you help people to understand their their proper boundaries and what's okay and what's not okay, and how to have a compassionate, honest, deep real conversation with somebody with and Mm -hmm. not sugarcoat it and and uh, to be real so it will depend on what
1: someone's goals are for that conversation that's one of the skills i talk about in my book is having your goals really clear to yourself if you're going into what's a more difficult conversation that you maybe are even wanting to avoid or just scared of the outcome we want to be clear on our goals what are you trying to get out of it so we don't get derailed and we kind of can go in with some clear intentions and that's really helpful and knowing your own skills and practicing skills and communication and having difficult conversations can help people feel a lot more confident to have these conversations too and again i my the first half of my book is like 10 conversation skills um, and communication skills Then the second half of the book is how to apply them and what order to put them in and you know using them on their own and all sorts of situations like saying no and setting boundaries and and things like that where we can use these skills in a very tangible way uh in a very real life situation so yeah i think with going in and having those types of conversations it's like arming yourself with a lot of tools and skills and and therefore giving yourself confidence uh, because it's like okay i can have this conversation because i do know how uh, how do i start it what do i do if this you know kind of gets derailed by emotions or other topics that come up uh, how will i know when it's over how have i how will i achieve my goal here so i think those are, are kind of the main things that i would suggest
0: and the name of your book, I'm feverishly looking for right now, and the name of your book is?
1: The Conversation Guide, How to Skillfully, yeah, Communicate. Uh, I, about I, I remember now,
0: it's, it's, it's my old age uh, creeping in. All good. Uh, the Conversation Guide. I, I really like that because, you know, conversation is a, is a major part of what we do as human beings, mm-hmm. uh, either verbal or nonverbal communication. We're, we're always saying something with something
1: hmm yep
0: and, and, and so go ahead
1: i talk about that in the book is exactly to do with goals right is when we're communicating with someone there's always a reason why uh like you said whether that's verbal or nonverbal, like we're trying to achieve something they're trying to achieve something there's a reason we're having this interaction and so being really aware of what that is can again be really helpful especially in these more difficult conversations
0: I gotta ask you a question. Can can you can you we put your therapist hat on for me, please? Sure. <laughs> I in in my life because of what I do. I've I've been doing this for a while now, and and uh, I had a radio show on KKNW 1150 AM in Seattle in 2003, even. And I've come to find that people when they talk to me about their goals, aspirations, how they want to work with me, how they want to. Uh, uh, be part of the program or or doing what we're doing they're not very genuine and
1: mm-hmm. a lot of
0: times they have their own agenda and mm-hmm. i take people at their word that's a big failing of mine that has got me into a lot of trouble because i take people at their word i assume they're not lying to me mm-hmm. why is it that people can look you straight in the eye and lie to you <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my gosh if i had a, a good concise answer to that question i think i'd uh probably be retired by now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your book would be a billion seller. And that would be...
1: I mean, there's so many different reasons why people lie. And it's true that we tend to project our own level of honesty onto other people. So you seem like a very honest person. So you're going to assume that other people are honest and project that way of, of interacting with the world onto them when that's not necessarily the case. And so it sucks to be in situations where you get punished for being trusting, right? Um, a lot of people have been there and it seems just like, so what am I supposed to do, not trust anybody? And then what kind of life is that? And there are people who deserved it. And so, you know, it's it's almost looking at things in more future focus, like almost anxiety model type of thing of if I go and trust people, like. What's the worst that could happen? Like, how probable is that worst case scenario? Is there a catastrophic um, situation I could get in when trusting this person? Yes or no? What's the probability of that? And then, okay, if there is some probability that something very terrible could happen, could I handle that? Could I cope with that? And those types of questions might lead you a bit more to, like, should I take the um, the the risk and trust this person, or should I maybe ease back a little bit and, you know, do, do a bit more research or get some more data points somehow to, to know if I can actually really trust them or not.
0: It's, it's difficult when, when somebody presents themselves in a certain way, it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of like, I look at it kind of like a, uh, a first date.
1: Yeah.
0: Everybody's always on their best behavior for a first date. Yeah. And they want to put their best foot forward and they want to make everybody like them. And they want to, if they want to pursue a relationship, they want to make it work. And so everybody's nice. It's not until you start getting in depth into the second date, third date, you know, fifth date, couple of months, a year, that people's um, true intentions begin to show. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it's really difficult when you take everybody at face value. And then, then suddenly, like I, I, one time I got sued for fifty thousand dollars because uh, she got mad at me uh, because I was working for her. As anyway, long story. But uh, you know, and how do you? And if you're someone like me who acts, and I kind of take that as a, a point of pride that I believe in everything that you tell me, and I'm not going to call you a liar until you prove to me that you're a liar. How do I protect myself from getting drugged down that road of I'm going to sue you uh, and, and stuff like that?
1: I think it's having those those check ins with yourself and with the situation as, you know, we can kind of place a lot of value on what people say, but it's also taking their actions as well into account. And you mentioned that before the nonverbals. And I think w- when it comes to trusting people, that's a huge piece of like people can tell you till the cows come home, that they, that you can trust them. But is that really the case? And, you know, I, I talk to clients a lot about building trust and when trust is broken, how do we get it back and all of those things. And my kind of formula for trust is time and consistency. And so if you're asking yourself, can I trust this person? Have they been consistent over a long period of time with both their words and their actions? Then the answer is probably gonna be pretty clear. If they have not been consistent, or maybe they have, but you just haven't known them for very long, you know, it's it's it can be tough. So asking yourself, should I be putting a hundred percent trust into this person yet? I mean, trust is something. To be earned, but sometimes we just want to give it a hundred percent until we hear uh, innocent until proven guilty, right? Exactly, uh, exactly. But <laughs> again, it depends on the stakes of the situation, too. Sure, if it's something low stakes, why not just be a trusting person? Hopefully, they rise to the occasion. If you get burned, you can deal with it, no big deal. If the stakes are a lot higher, then it's using that time and consistency model where it's you know, they haven't proven themselves quite yet. I need more time. I need more consistency here to really be giving a hundred percent.
0: You know, and one of the, one of those areas of life where trust is a really big deal is marriage.
1: Yeah. And
0: when somebody breaks the vow um and has goes, steps outside the marriage and has an affair. And I know you work with married couples and you work with singles and you work with all kinds of people. How do you help people or can you help people regain the trust after Mm -hmm. it's been broken? So this comes down to
1: different aspects, one of which, you know, what I talked about before, of the time and consistency. But a bit more specifically, consistent with what? Sometimes we need to get into what are the expectations in this relationship? And also how can we be confident that this isn't going to happen again? If nothing has changed, our brains are going to say, we're going to get the exact same outcome. Of course, that just makes logical sense. So we need to also delve into what was going on there that caused that person to stray from, you know, the, what was the expectations of I'm assuming a monogamous relationship. And so If they cheated or or did whatever, why? What was going on with them that they felt the need to do that? Were they unfulfilled in the relationship in some other way? How can we satiate whatever need was being unmet there in a way that both people are okay with? And sometimes when we think about that, it's like, maybe it's time to end the relationship because there are unmet needs there somehow that maybe can't get met in another way. We don't know. So it's gonna depend relationship to relationship. But then if the people decide, yeah, we wanna stay in this and work on this and move forward and try and rebuild that trust, then it's okay. Well, these, this is what we're both doing differently now to not be in that situation. And we need to be patient and give it time. And that's what will rebuild that trust with time. And again, consistency that it's not happening again.
0: And it takes really good communication between everybody that you're going to make a change and, and that you're all committed to making it work. If one is committed and the other one really isn't, it won't work. Right.
1: Yeah. And usually in these situations too, it's exploring the person who cheated, you know, motives or reasoning behind why they did what they did. So we can feel, okay, now we can manage hopefully not having that happen again. But also the person who was cheated on has a lot of betrayal trauma and has a lot of things that are coming up. And they usually really need their experience validated, which a lot of the time doesn't happen because the person who did the cheating feels so bad. And they don't even want to go and validate how terrible that was for the other person because they feel like that's admitting that they're then a terrible person. Uh, when in reality, it's showing they understand and hear how deeply they've hurt someone. Um, That's a piece I often see missed as well, that people are just the person who got cheated on feels like they're completely alone and not understood at all. And that it's all about the other person and fixing their behavior and everything and that, you know, they're, they're not being attended to emotionally.
0: And it it, does it matter a little bit about about the mindset of the individual going in. Let me give you an example. Uh, When I was younger, a little skinnier and a little uh, had more hair and was a better looking sales rep. I had a I had a somebody called me because I I would leave business cards and uh, everywhere I went. And some, some lady called me, and I responded back. And she said, you know, I love your mustache, and I love your style. I want to um, have a intimate relationship with you. I won't go into details. Mm-hmm. And my first response wasn't, well, where do you want to meet? And we've got to do this kind of clandestine. My first response was, my wife probably set this up. And so, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. Um, but when, when so... When somebody takes an advance like that and acts on it, is it because their relationship is fundamentally flawed, and they they need to look at how deeply within that relationship to determine what the flaws are, and then both work to correct them? So
1: you're saying if the the person who reached out or the person like you in that situation who is being kind of propositioned,
0: if when you're propositioned, which is I'm assuming. Well, no, I, I, you know what they say about assuming, right? Yes, um, do. because there are some guys that will go, even though they're married, they'll take their wedding ring off and they will go, um, in search of, um, action or something mm-hmm. along those lines. I, I would never even enter my mind to do anything like that, mm-hmm. but that's just me. But, uh, it's, But there are and then there are guys that get propositions, and then they say, wow, what the hell? Why not? Uh, So is there is there I guess I don't even know what I'm going to ask, because it's like there are so many facets to it, depending on upon. And then you have to bring in the relationship. What was going on there? That's why you get paid the big bucks, because I could never figure it out.
1: It's every situation is very unique. And when it comes to so many different things, I see clients struggling with, whether it's motivations, a huge one, or, you know, relationship issues, like, you know, fidelity, I guess. Um, These issues seem very common, yet the reasoning behind them is very individual. And so it's hard to give, you know, blanket responses to these types of things. But I would say, Similar to what I said before in that type of situation, there's some draw to saying, either saying yes to that proposition or seeking it out depending on the situation. And what is that? What is that, like we we don't do things unless we get stuff out of it. And a lot of the times that's a difficult thing for people to wrap their minds around. There's always some sort of secondary gain Or primary gain from that. So whether that's like sexual pleasure in those situations, whether that's closeness, whether that's attention, whether that's excitement, whether that's some sort of thrill. I mean, there's so many things that people might be seeking that they're getting from that situation, and that's why they're doing it. Sometimes I see people who are feeling really stuck in managing their chronic health or in their depression, and they say, I know I should be doing these things to help myself, but I can't, but I don't, and I don't know why. Well, there's something that is keeping them stuck. And so taking a look at what those reasons are can be really helpful. Uh, Sometimes it can be really a tough pill to swallow where it's like, oh, part of me actually likes being sick because I have an excuse to not do things that are maybe scary for me, like go back to school or go get a job or be in a relationship. It's not saying that, oh, this person is sabotaging themselves 100% and loves being sick, but there's going to be pros and cons to absolutely every situation we have.
0: Some of us enjoy playing the victim, don't we?
1: Some, yeah, yeah.
0: And that 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 makes it hard to get through life if you are playing enjoying playing the victim and and everything's out to get you and everybody's out to get you when when that may or may not be the case but but uh, yeah. and and the stories that we tell ourselves what percentage would you say the stories that we fundamentally, before they come to see you?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and they're going to come see you because they're telling themselves these stories. How often are these stories actually true? But most of them are not, aren't they?
1: Truth are is, they? A, is a tricky thing because to them, those stories are 100% true, and to the other people involved who have a different story, theirs is also true. And this is where we get caught up a lot in who's right and who's wrong, and that's not really what we need to set out to prove or figure out uh if that's excuse me if that's true to that person that's fine uh now what do we attend to the emo like what's the again what's the goal do we tend to the emotions does there need to be change that happened? do we need some coping skills it's whether it's true or not yeah that's it can seem like that would be be something um, have you ever tried to change someone's mind, though, or change their beliefs? It's pretty, pretty hard. Well, apparently,
0: apparently, you don't live in the United States. See, <laughs> that, I've heard about it. <laughs> in the United States, that's just not possible, yeah. uh, which is why now we have got media outlets that mm-hmm. if you you listen to the media outlets that agree with you yeah. and you don't listen to the, the ones who don't agree with oh, you. Exactly. Yeah. And so we yeah, and it's as we form our own sense of a community of just part of the people because we only want to associate with people that agree with us.
1: Mm-hmm. Confirmation bias. We just we will seek out whatever confirms our current belief system. Uh that's something we all do. And that's what's hard in therapy sometimes, is if we have these deeply held negative, untrue beliefs about ourselves or the world, like I'm not good enough or I'm unsafe. We will constantly seek out things that further prove that and if there's ever any evidence to the contrary it kind of just bounces off us or we make excuses like oh well, that person didn't really mean that nice thing they said about me or oh yeah but I didn't I only did well on that thing because someone else helped me and it's it's never attributed to we will hold on to these beliefs and that's why therapy can take time it's because sometimes we really need to shake loose some of these belief systems that are very deeply held yeah
0: why is it that, that we, because I see this all the time, all of us have got talent, all of us have got skills. They're different skills to be sure, but mm-hmm. some can write well and some can talk well and some can work really hard, and, but we all have skills. Why is it when somebody compliments us, we have a tendency to downplay uh, the skills that we have and, and to accentuate the, the shortages that we have, the areas that, that we need work? Why do we do that to ourselves?
1: I think that's part of, I mean, again, it's going to be different person to person, but part of it is probably some of those belief systems of like, I'm not good enough, or this, you know, and so that doesn't align with their belief system about themselves. So they will, they will defend their own reality where like, no, I'm not that good. Uh, You might think I'm good, but I don't. other times, it's part of just culture to be overly humble. I think is something that has been great Don't being arrogant. Could you know if you accept a compliment and say, "Oh, thank you. I worked really hard on that. I'm really proud of it." Well, we wouldn't want to seem arrogant. We wouldn't want to seem just you know like a terrible person for for accepting that. And I think that's kind of a cultural thing in North America at least, where where it's just kind of the norm to to kind of deflect compliments (laughs)
0: absolutely you know i and i can see why you love your job it's like it's like being a detective and putting a jigsaw puzzle together isn't it
1: yeah definitely one of my uh colleagues who's a counselor is an ex-cop and he really likes to use some of his old cop skills and i think they come in handy a lot yeah
0: because you're always looking to figure out what somebody's motives are. At the end of the day, do you, do you get tired of people? No, never.
1: No, nope. I uh, feel like I could do this job. I mean, sometimes I get tired as a human, but not of people. Because uh, again, it's they're all so different. Uh, it's just really interesting to see how people react and just trying to help them. And it feels really good when I'm able to do that
0: i i had a friend who used to call me up uh late at night after a half a bottle of rum Mm. and would start talking about how he hated his job and how his marriage wasn't all that good and that and all this kind of stuff and i i didn't have the patience for it so it was like look if you hate your job quit go find something you like to do and and stuff well you know he never called me back (laughs) So so it was, you know, because I I don't have the patience Mm -hmm. to work through some of those issues like like a good therapist will.
1: Yeah, I think when we go to school and the more experience we have, you learn how to be. It's not even patient, but going under the layers of that and kind of what we were talking about before is this person is stuck, they're not happy with their situation, but they are gaining something by not changing. And so that's where we're like, okay, now we explore that using different tools or, you know, how can we help this person who's feeling really stuck, who claims they want to change, but isn't changing. And rather than saying, well, the only option here is for you to change and you're not doing that, I'm kind of out of ideas. So that's very frustrating. So hopefully as a therapist, they would have been taught and learned more tools to be like, okay, you want to change, you're not able to, now let's figure out why.
0: And I firmly believe that uh, everybody needs a good coach and a good therapist. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, the older I get, the more when I start looking at families and family histories and friends of mine and, and stuff, everybody, every family is dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got a a measure of it's things are not going well within the family, which causes repercussions with the kids and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's like everybody we we all need a little help from time to time, don't we?
1: Yeah, we do. And I think. There's a lot of value in therapy and exactly that. There's so many different therapists, so many different techniques we all use and different conceptualizations and different goals clients have. And sometimes it's nice to just talk. And there's so much value in that. And other times you want something a bit more specific. Give me tools for this. Teach me this thing. Help me with this trauma. But other times it's just like, I got to just unload everything that's in my mind onto someone else and have them just listen to me.
0: Do you find that women make better clients than men? Uh
1: that's—I've like, never even thought about that. Um, I mean, I have a lot of clients of male, female, non-binary clients. I think they're all great, and uh, they all—they're coming to therapy, so they're all great just for that alone. And everything else is just gravy.
0: Well, doctor, that that is a really good political answer, and I, I'm glad you know that. <laughs> oh, all my clients are great. I I would submit that that men who are looking for a quick fix that are not interested in doing the work uh, that there are more of them than there are women out there. Is that am I totally missing mm-hmm. that boat? Mm,
1: not in my, yeah. In my experience, I I have long term clients that again are are all all genders are yeah so it depends. Sometimes it's their goal for therapy. Sometimes people are, and that's completely fine if they're clear on, Hey, give me some anxiety coping strategies. I've got like, let's do like three sessions. Sure. Or there's someone like help me with my lifelong depression and family issues. And, you know, I'm kind of in this for a couple of years and just to help me with what's all these changes that are happening in my life currently. So it's going to probably depend more on the person's life circumstances and their therapeutic goals rather than their gender probably
0: yeah because i i have a good uh, good friend of mine that uh he he took some psychology courses when he was in uh, college mm-hmm. and and in high school and stuff and so he was talking to the therapist and he he was talking to the therapist knowing what he thought the therapist wanted to hear mm-hmm. rather than being really honest with himself and going deep he was he was being continuing to be superficial and being talking uh, to the therapist like well if if i t- if i tell her what she wants to hear then she'll say i'm fine and i don't have to come back anymore
1: yeah that happens <laughs> and i've had people come to me saying therapy in the past didn't work for them because they weren't honest with their therapist so people it's not always the right time for everyone to go to therapy, you have to be ready for it. A lot of times people have a really specific idea of what it's going to be like, and then they find out it's different, and so they kind of need to process that. Maybe it's just not a good fit with the specific counselor or the techniques they use. Uh, with couples, a lot of the time it's like, cool, so we get to go and make our cases to this third party, and they'll tell us which one of us is right.
0: It's uh, like the- in front of Judge Judy or something.
1: And that's why a lot of people don't do couples therapy, because it's hard because people are going to try and get you to side with them. And so you have to be extremely diplomatic and fair and not get caught up in that because people do it without even knowing they're trying really trying to plead their case and trying to get you to kind of, again, agree with them or uh side with them in in whatever way when that's not the point of couples therapy believe it or not so
0: (laughs) holy crap that's gotta be that's gotta be really hard on you when when uh one of them is pleading their case because they want you to agree that he is really a dirty dog who really needs to change his ways and everything she does is perfect Mm -hmm. Uh, how do you because that's where the that's i'm glad you wrote the book because that's where the uh, tough conversations come in because you've got to you've got to talk to it in a real honest forthright way.
1: Mm -hmm. So in those cases, it's more about helping each person achieve what they're trying to in that conversation or communication. So rather than, you know, siding with one person or the other, it's, again, not getting into whose reality is correct, who's true, who's right. It's more, what actually do we need to attend to here? Is someone feeling this way? are they hurt? Does change need to happen? Do we need to come up with solutions? It doesn't really matter. The details of he picked up, he left his socks on the floor. No, I didn't. It really, it's about someone's feeling disrespect in their shared space. So how can we come up with solutions to help that person feel better? Um, It's, it's kind of, you got, it's interesting. You kind of usually have to zoom out into what the themes, and cycles are in people's relationships. Rather than getting bogged down in the specifics of arguments, you're never going to get anywhere. In my experience, uh, anyway.
0: No, especially if if he's going to leave his socks on the floor, it's a lifelong thing. His mother used to tell him the same thing uh, years ago, probably. Yeah. So uh, it's it's great talking to you, you Jonelle. And uh, by the way, go to. Um, www.theconversationguide.com yeah. and you can pick up her book uh, which is oddly enough called the conversation guide yeah and, and it'll give you a blueprint about how to have tough conversations good con- but more important meaningful conversations hmm that, that you can really, can, because we all communicate, but some of us don't communicate as effectively as as we might. And a lot of misconceptions happen when we miscommunicate.
1: Definitely, yeah. And there's a, hopefully, I like to think some good tips and information in the book about how to be self-aware of how you're coming across, how to you know respect other people's interpretations, even though that's maybe not what you meant and how to handle situations where miscommunications come up.
0: Cause they come up all the time. I know I can't,
1: it's a wonder we get anything done. I say that all it's the time. True. We just all have our own beliefs and reality and systems going on in our mind. And the way we interpret the world is so differently from anyone else. Um, yeah, it's great. We, we get anything done.
0: Now, is it, is it a good idea when you're having a communication with somebody and they and they're kind of like spewing all over you, because that's sometimes how they work, as people spend more time thinking about what they're going to say in response to what somebody else is saying than than listening to what they say. Mm-hmm. So isn't it a good idea to say to wait, take a couple of beats, process what was just said to you, and then say, okay. This is what I heard you say. Is this what you meant to say? Is that an appropriate way to get the conversation a little deeper?
1: It can be, definitely, because we want to, everyone wants space to feel heard and understood. And that's usually what the main goal is so if we have two people who aren't feeling that way who are just waiting for their turn to talk and then be like okay no understand me and then the other person's just sitting there waiting no okay understand me and we'll just keep going in that so unless someone is able to put again put theirs aside for a moment validate and show they understand the other person that's helps them feel understood which is great but it also helps the person doing that because now the their conversation partners more open to hearing them and listening to them so they're not just going to be waiting for their turn to speak because they haven't felt that sense of understanding or connection yet they are going to be open okay i feel understood now i can kind of relax they've shown they understand me i can actually listen now rather than again waiting for <laughs> waiting for the own time to talk
0: you know when i was um I was a district sales manager for a food company and I had 12 guys that reported to me and I would regularly go on sales calls with them to talk to and and they would be talking to the owner. And it it just it it just amazed me because the sales guys, they're taught to have a um, a opening uh, line and then to handle objections handle objections, handle objections. But what they would do is they would be thinking about how they're going to handle an objection, but they're not listening to what the owner of the restaurant is saying and the reason why he's even talking to us. Mm -hmm. So, so, and that happens in all of our lives. If we don't listen, which I, somebody said recently, uh, and I hope I concur wholeheartedly, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. So we can listen more than we can mm-hmm. than we can talk, and if you listen to what they're actually saying, then you might be able to make some gains, and you might it might even change your own mind. Be still, my foolish heart. Could that be even possible?
1: It can. It can change the outcome. I think too, and I talk about this in the book where how understanding someone. And again, putting your own ego and your own need to feel understood, which is just as valid, but we have to take, t- someone's got to go first. And so if you're seeing that you're in a, in a situation like that, putting that aside and saying, yeah, I am going to really work hard to understand this person. As I said before, it's great for them because it helps them feel understood. Big whoop. What does it do for you? It models the behavior you want to see from them later, which people pick up on it preemptively shuts down their defensiveness so that they're going to be more open to hearing you later and yeah it helps you actually make sure you understand them you could be totally missing the mark and just thinking yeah yeah yeah, i understand how you feel like now let's get to me well you could have been totally wrong so it ensures that you know and that can be really helpful later in the conversation if we need to do some problem solving around okay, so you're feeling this way, I'm feeling this way, how can we compromise or, or do things differently in the future? If you don't really know how they feel, you don't really know where the edges of those that compromising is, right? And how can we meet in the middle if you're not sure where that is? So it's, it's so helpful to everybody to take the time to understand what's going on for the other person. And like you said, to listen to them
0: you know one of the things that the next time that we talk and there will be a next time because i'd love to have you back great yeah um and that is and that is how do you have a difficult conversation that you know prior due to prior um experience that is liable to end up in an argument and Mm. how how do you make that work without it going down the rabbit hole of tears and crying and you hate me and on and on and, 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 and stuff like that because that that is when i was married I, and you know i suppose there's a reason why i'm no longer married mm-hmm. <laughs> it had to do with communication mm-hmm. and that was uh, we didn't communicate on a fundamental level about stuff that mattered mm-hmm. because it was easier to just gloss over it and not delve into it because there was going to be tears there was going to be accusations there was going to be all that and we didn't have the skills we didn't have the skills to figure all that out that's why we needed a therapist where were you then
1: (laughs) um again it's it's hard because the arguments happen for different reasons for different people and that takes a lot of self-awareness and reflection to understand why we're having the emotional reactions we're having in those conversations, but it's usually, again, a piece of a bigger cycle. If we zoom out, you probably had similar arguments over and over and over again, because we were in the same cycles, we were thinking the same things, and we weren't getting to the part where we make specific realistic changes. And so instead, we're just stuck in the cycle over and over again. So that's why sometimes, as you mentioned, having a therapist can help because we can see things really objectively we can figure out and give some suggestions to some potential solutions to even just try to help break these cycles. Cause a lot of the time we get into these. And like you said, the arguments get escalated, they get derailed. We come to no solutions and no change. And then it happens again and it happens again. And, it, and then we just get so exhausted that we just brush it under the rug or we end the relationship and, so getting to that point, uh, I address it a lot in the book, all the different things that can come up that can derail a conversation, whether it's, yeah, other, other conversation topics coming up, one person going into the victim role, emotions escalating. There's all sorts of different tools and techniques to handle, but it, it gets a, quite a bit more specific. So can't really give too much of a specific answer on that without knowing more.
0: Well, and then to see, and you, but you're exactly right. That's what would happen. Is yeah. that we'd start going down this way and then somebody would get defensive mm-hmm. and then and then if you pushed, then they were gonna get really defensive, mm-hmm. and then it was gonna turn into an argument. And it's look, it's 9 30 at night, I've got to get up at five in the morning. I really don't wanna have a two hour argument about this now. So you I would shelve it, mm-hmm. and or she would shelve it. And so then then of course we'd go to bed angry and all that stuff, and then the cycle would repeat itself. Mm-hmm. So but nobody wanted to push it. Nobody wanted to take it to it's logical where it needed to go to get some kind of, of a, of a resolution. Mm -hmm. So consequently we had a bunch of choose the expression, we had a bunch of shit hanging out there and no resolutions anywhere. So that was tough. But anyway, that's, that's for next time. So go go get the book, the conversation guide. It, it will help you you have good conversations and difficult conversations.
1: I hope so yeah thank you so much for having me this is such a blast I will definitely come back just let me know
0: absolutely you 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 are awesome and you're you're a great therapist and and for some reason I don't know why this is but our brethren in Canada just seem to be so much more enlightened than we are down here it's like <laughs> I don't know what it is maybe it's the water that you get maybe it's a socialized maybe it's a, the social aspects of what you know you guys are like up there but it's it's you guys are different than we are down here so that's it's nice appreciate thank it. you i appreciate moving, it but you won't let me in so you know <laughs> you gotta have like i don't know a job and a meaningful income to, 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 I, have, right?
1: I have no control over over who gets into Canada <laughs> or not but if i did say come on over
0: <laughs> i appreciate that thank you so much for being here and if you'll wait right there i'll be right back okay Sure. thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.